For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's better than this? Guys being dudes here on the Draft Dudes Podcast. It's Joe Marino and Kyle Krabs. We're your hosts, Chris Schubert, the producer, we're from the Draft Network, and folks, we're like a week away from the 2022 NFL Draft. We may be in the middle of April, but it surely feels like it's the middle of December. Kyle, what's going on, my dude? Yeah, I'm very much in Bart Scott mode. Can't wait for the draft next week. And uh, we're kind of at that point where you're – you're done scouting players, right? Like we're done quote unquote grinding tape and all that stuff. And now it's from a predictive lens. Like how can you use the information you've gathered to this point in time to best forecast where guys are going to get drafted? Did you just say that you're done grinding the tape? I, I felt like those were words that came out of your mouth and it felt weird. Uh, I did say that uh, I'm finishing it. 275 players watched. Uh, I selfishly wanted to get to 300, uh, but my ability to push and, and really hustle through the late round guys uh, was compromised with what our process was this year. But we also have a process that we have six guys on staff uh, who kind of yep. divide the country amongst all of us. Uh, but there's that. There's always going to be that part of me as the guy who used to have to do it all by himself, who like I want to have been able to personally have watched and graded as many of the draftable players that we're going to get this year as possible. Yeah. I'll always be that way as well, but I collectively we're going to cover way over 400 guys. So the, uh, the net that we yeah. are casting is very, very wide and we have full comprehensive coverage of the 2022 NFL draft over at the draftnetwork.com. And Kyle, you mentioned that we're going to start, really focusing in on the team side of things and projecting the players. We know what we're going to know about the players. It's about where are they going to go, and that's going to be the entire theme of what we're going to talk about today. We are going to go through several of the most prominent prospects in this year's class and determine how high they could go or how low they can go mm -hmm. as we really solidify our predictive mindset for the 2022 NFL so Draft. So, Joe... I'd like to start this conversation with my number one overall player in the class. Ooh. When you when you suggested we should do ceilings and floors for players, and like we're not talking about construction, like we're not math guys, let alone guys that can like build houses. We're talking draft forecast ceilings and floors. Kyle Hamilton is such a fascinating case study because you have the positional value trope that exists with him, but also how talented he is. But then he didn't run as fast as everybody wanted at the combine. 
And now we're in this like weird limbo could go top five, could fall out of the top 10. So when you think about Kyle Hamilton and a ceiling and a floor, would you disagree with me that the ceiling is probably three to Houston? Yeah, I think that's absolute absolute best case scenario for Kyle. Yes. Yes. But we don't think he's. I mean, I'd be. Yeah, I'd, I was going to say, I, I'd still be kind of surprised if he was the number three pick in the draft. I would understand it. And, you know, for a team like Houston, where I think we're continuously coming back to this, you just got to get good players because they, they do, right? Like this is the, the, the worst roster in the NFL. And the only way to get better is to find good players. And so he would fit that description. I would understand that at three, just predictively, I think they're going to go with different positions. Okay, so do we want a different ceiling? What if we set the ceiling at like seven to the Giants? Well, I, I think I think he, it, the door's open at three. I, I do think the door okay. is open. Great. So I don't want. I'm not ready to move off of that. I just think predictively, I'd be surprised, but I, I think it's where we should start the conversation. Now, is the floor Houston at thirteen? <laughs> Well, I think predictively, you and I are both very in on the Washington Commanders. Oh, yeah. Picking Kyle Hamilton. But I think that's probably bad process on our behalf if we were to sit here and say the team that we There's think no he's going to go to is the yeah. Abs- yeah, absolute basement. Yeah, I think that's probably not good. So if we extend it to 13, Washington picks 11, that includes. Minnesota at 12 and Houston's second opportunity to pick him at 13. Is that far enough down or do we think within three and 13, we see Kyle Hamilton get drafted? I think so. I think 13's a re I think the two Houston picks are like good buffers as, as that is a team as you've accurately outlined just desperately needs good players, right? It doesn't, doesn't really matter what position they play. They shouldn't be drafting for need. And I think you can make a firm case that if that's the mentality that they're going to have early and they don't want to risk it, they could draft him at three. But if he's there at 13, like what players left on the board for you that's going to be like, well, he's a better player than Kyle Hamilton. We should take him. They won't find a better player. They may find a different position that they value more, but they won't find a better player if Kyle Hamilton's there at 13. That I can assure you. Okay, so, so I'm pretty I'm satisfied with, three, with this range. Three and thirteen. All right. right, let me let me introduce the next name here to the table, and I'm going to go with a quarterback, and it's going to be Malik Willis out of Liberty. Very polarizing prospect. There's wide ranging levels of buy in when it comes to Malik Willis in terms of the way the draft community perceives this talent one thing I think we do all agree on though is that if all of the quarterbacks reach their ceiling the highest one is Malik's Malik Willis what one. right yeah. right yeah I think that's probably a fairly safe consensus opinion now it's all about where these teams are going to value him as a player and so as we set this ceiling the highest we think Malik Willis can go I think pretty comfortably that's number two to Detroit. He's not going one to Jacksonville. And unless somebody trades up to get ahead of Detroit, which would blow my mind, 
I think his absolute ceiling is Detroit at two. I agree. Uh, but I, in the same spirit of you talking about Kyle Hamilton at three, there's, there's not a whole lot of love for this right now. The momentum seems to have swung back towards pass rushers at number two. So I don't know if that's smokescreen season, right? Where you're, you're, you're putting all this misinformation out here and trying to get teams off your center or manipulate teams around you to do something you do or don't want them to do. But I do, I do think it is interesting in that there's the momentum for Malik at two in the last week or so seems to have lost some of the build that it had coming out of the all-star event and the NFL combine. I'm still in on it. I'm not moving off it yet. I know you are. (laughs) Yet. You did say you did concede yet, though. Well, you and I need to have an off-air conversation, Kyle, about some of of the things that are creeping into my mind right now. I I texted you back yesterday, so you can't blame me for us not having this conversation. Yeah, it wasn't going to be a text conversation. That was was one that we had to exchange verbal. when, When I text you back like that, let's just be be very transparent that is an open invitation call me i'm available i have my phone if you ring i'm gonna pick up so just want to throw that out there into the universe yeah yeah when i get something dangling you know it's uh that's not one we let marinate we get we get to we get on the on the horn all right so here's the thing about the the basement yeah the floor the basement when it comes to malik willis I have a really, really, really hard time imagining a world where he gets by Carolina at six, Atlanta at eight, and Seattle at nine. I just have a hard time thinking he clears those three teams plus Detroit at two. And and maybe you disagree with me, but I will always believe in the NFL's ability to reach for quarterbacks. And I've said a couple of times that I think Malik Willis is a better prospect than Trey Lance was coming out of North Dakota State last year, who was the number three pick in the draft that the 49ers parted with three first-round draft picks to get. And so you're telling me that one of Detroit at two, Carolina at six, Atlanta at eight, or Seattle at nine aren't just going to sit there and pick Malik Willis. I personally have a hard time believing one of those teams won't won't pull the trigger. I do think he gets drafted at six. I just don't know if it's going to be Carolina. That is such a good trade-up target for a team that has nothing. Right? Am I wrong? Tell me I'm wrong. I don't disagree with... So in the world where Malik Willis is not the number two pick, I do think that yep. he does make his way to six. And... As you've pointed out, how many times did Scott Fitterer trade back last year in his first draft as GM? You said four times? I believe the number is four. So several times he traded back. This team doesn't have a two. They don't have a three. They have needs. They're in a situation where make or break type year for this regime. And look, I don't want to do another deal where we spend way too much time talking about the Carolina Panthers because we we, we tend to do that. Please and thank you. Yep. But yeah, I could see them moving back if there's a few quarterbacks that they like and they want to get in a couple of day two picks or something like that to 
fill out the roster, find a left tackle. I, I would fully understand it from Carolina as a move back team. So that, that, that is currently, I think, my favorite in the clubhouse scenario for Malik. Uh, to, to set a safe floor, I probably would say 10 is the floor just based on the talent and the scarcity at the position. And, but I don't think those teams that are in the back half of the top 10 are like the ones that I would point to aside of Carolina, if they're, they absolutely love them. But like, I'm sure the giants at five and seven would love to yeah. play up the opportunity to, to tease. Hey, Carolina might take them at six. Oh, nobody bites. Oh, Carolina drafts an offensive tackle. Hey, Atlanta might take them at eight. Seattle might take them at nine. The, the Giants are are a team that's very much in, what is it, the proverbial catbird seat, that, that they have an opportunity to uh, really reap the benefits from the potential demand of teams that were fringe playoff teams that might end up finding themselves more in the quarterback market uh, than we currently realize, even if they signed a quarterback in free agency. So to tie a ribbon on this Malik Willis conversation, Kyle, I want you to live in a world where nobody trades up, okay? and that the top okay. 10 picks are chalk. All right. Do you agree with me that he doesn't get past that gauntlet of Detroit, Carolina, Atlanta, and Seattle? No trades up. I can I can see this world existing where that doesn't happen. Wow. So I don't know okay. that I necessarily agree that if everybody stays in their spots, which – When's the last time that happened, right? Like, uh, there's always some movement. I could see him getting outside of... And what would be really interesting is it sounded like Minnesota was interested in drafting Justin Fields last year. And I understand that they've Mm -hmm. reworked Kirk Cousins' contract, but they're there at 12 as a team that we perceive to be a fringe playoff team. Like, would they consider him? You know, I'm sure there's teams in in the teens, too, that would... I think his absolute floor is where Pittsburgh picks at 20 to be safe. But I think if I'm factoring in trades, I'll put the floor at 10. I think for me, it's just that I'm not willing to admit that 2022 is going to be the year the NFL stops reaching on quarterbacks. I don't think this is going to be the year that that happens. Totally fair. Uh, can I throw a player out there for you guys? A player that I'm interested Please in do. hearing your guys' thoughts on. He's part of the uh, part of a position of need for a lot of teams. One of the high value positions in the NFL draft. He's not considered one of the top two guys at the position, but could find himself as a top ten pick. Can we talk about Jermaine Johnson, edge from Florida State, mm. please. Look at Joe's face. I I I have I have peaked, so happy right I now. have peaked Joe's interest with my selection. That makes me very happy. Well, we get to talk about Jermaine well, Johnson, please well, and thank you. Go ahead, Joe. I, go ahead. I, I I love talking about him as a player, right? But w- w- I do take a lot of interest in where he ultimately gets drafted because I recognize that there's a chance that we like him more than maybe the NFL does. And if I'm not mistaken, he's one of the 21 players that are going to that's going to be at the draft. So there's a lot of belief that he's certainly going to go fairly high. But would I be surprised if he's the fourth edge player off the board behind some combination of Walker, Hutchinson and KT? I wouldn't be surprised. And if that's the case, where does he come off the board? I, 
I think this is a great player to to bring up, Chris. And I know I didn't do anything to help start the conversation, but no, I wanted to you let didn't. you know that I I, I, I am Did fascinated at all. as to where we're going to go here. Yeah. Uh, can I set the ceiling at the Giants at five? Why did I think you there's a that? world in Why which he you... is is oh, I guess Giants at seven technically. If the Giants want to pick an offensive tackle and stay in front of Carolina at six, um, but I, my question is why? Okay, either Giants pick is fine, but what moved you off of the Jets in Houston? As for, I just think there's, four and I, I think you'll get at least two edges in front of him. I don't think he'll be edge two. Okay. So my, okay, I, I think I'll he can be edge three. I think he can get past KT, depending on how the, the first couple picks go. But I don't think he'll get past Hutch, and I don't think he'll get past Walker either. So let's say Hutch and, Hutch and Walker go in the first three picks. Some other player that's not an edge goes with the other top three pick. You think he's off? Yes. He's, he's in play or not in play for the Jets at four? And he, he could be, but... I would be very. You feel better about five. I feel better. I'll 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 agree with you on five. Yeah, I will. I think because and and the reason why I would agree with you is because I think the Jets there's more possibilities for them where corner could be in play. You can go corner. You can go offensive tackle. I don't think you'd go wide receiver. I know they want a pass rusher, but did you just talk yourself back into it now? No, I, I have I had something to tongue. say there. I did because I think there's a fascinating conversation to be had about a wide receiver at four to the Jets. No. Get out of here. In this market? Get out of here. In, in this, this econ- economy? In this economy? No. No. Way. What? And I we're gonna we're gonna get off the rails here, but that's fine. Great. What that's what we do here. Did we hear about the Jets and their interest with Tyreek Hill? It was this idea that Joe Douglas, their general manager, thought that this is exactly the player that they needed to find for Zach Wilson. Are they going to play with the idea? If they love Jamison Williams, who is that player, wide receiver out of Alabama, and they think so highly of that skill set for Zach Wilson, are they going to play the game and hope he's there at 10 or pull the trigger on him they at 4? would burn the facility down. If they took Jamison Williams at four, Chris, correct me if I'm wrong. I, Jets fans would burn the facility to the ground. I don't know if they would. They burn it. I, I don't know if they would burn it to the ground because it depends on who they got at ten. But I would be shocked if they went wide receiver first because Joe, I think the difference in the in Tyree Kill and this conversation is Tyree Kill is an established NFL star. You take a wide receiver at four, you're telling your fan base, this guy is a Pro Bowl immediate impact day one guy for our football team. Jamison Williams can't be that. And so I don't think that that is the approach that they will take because they want an established guy. And they might take one at 10 where they feel it's more palatable. If Jamison Williams didn't have the ACL tear, I wouldn't blink an eye about him being the number four pick in this draft. But he does have the ACL. Six games is going to move us off of that if he starts the year on the pup list? It's a a medical question. You haven't seen him test. There is always more incurred risk with a player who has incomplete medicals and an incomplete healing 
from an injury that's on their track record. I mean, Joe, if they took if if on the board at four, both Jameis Williams and Ike McWan was on the board, and they take Jameis Williams, how are you not burning the facility down? You have been trying to convince me for weeks and months now. Got to take a tackle at four. Got to take a tackle at four. And in the scenario you just envisioned, a tackle would be on the board at four, and Joe Douglas would be like, "Nah, I got to get more wide receivers. Give me another wide receiver for my team." I, I respect the question that you're asking, but we have got to identify the predictive world that we live in and the evaluator world that we live in. And in my evaluator world, I'm going to prioritize that offensive tackle at four for the Jets in this predictive world where we're talking ceilings and floors and kind of applying the logic that we gain through the Jets' interest in Tyreek Hill. I thought it was at least worth mentioning him at number four. But we're not, I, we're not even they're not even talking about Jameson Williams right now. This is about Jermaine Johnson, the edge from Florida State. <laughs> he was like, who are we talking about again? Right. <laughs> Joe, we got so what, sidetracked. Here's, here's what I thought you were going to do. I thought you were going to say to Chris, I appreciate the question, but we need to get back on the task at hand. I thought you were totally gonna just pass the buck. So, but here's what I do want to do. I want to read through to you where the top rated where the top selected wide receiver has been drafted in recent history and understand in a draft class that has high level talent available at several premier positions Jamar Chase 5 Henry Ruggs 12 Marquise Brown 25 DJ Moore 24 Corey Davis New York Jet 5 Corey Coleman, 15. Amari Cooper, 4, is the last receiver in 2015 to have been drafted that high. Sammy Watkins, 4, 2014. 2013, Tavon Austin at 8. Justin Blackman, 5, 2012. A.J. Green, 4, 2011. It's happened three times, but none since 2015. And this is a draft class which the Jets have needs at edge, corner, and offensive tackle. And you're going to draft a wide receiver at four when you could draft any one of the six, seven wide receivers that you could draft in the first round at 10. Instead, I'm not buying it. So for Jermaine Johnson, we feel like his ceiling is five. Yes. To the Giants. Thank you. All right. I can get there with you. I, I, and I wanted to know why you were dismissing the Jets, and I think it just comes back to they have a lot of other needs and a lot of other opportunities to fill them. We don't think they're going to pick the receiver at four. I, I got us off on a tangent by introducing that, and I don't regret anything. Um, okay. Now we need to talk about his, his basement. What's the, the lowest spot we can see Jermaine Johnson getting drafted? Twelve. Minnesota at 12. He's from Minnesota, so that's a fun story there. I mean, I'm trying to think of who Minnesota – like if Minnesota decides to go with a corner. I mean, I think there's a good chance that he goes to the Giants, the Falcons, the Seahawks, the Jets at 10, and then Minnesota at 12. Like I feel like there's, there's a home for him in those spots in my mind. I would agree. His, 
Right. The absolute worst case scenario is Philly at 15. Like there's no way he gets past 15. Yes. In my mind. That's that that's the worst case scenario is 15. So 5 to 15. And that makes a lot of sense to me. Um That's a that's a comfortable range for Jermaine Johnson who is an extremely balanced football player. He gives you the run defense. He gives you the pass rush. He had an unbelievable season this past year at Florida State where he was the ACC Defensive Player of the Year, and there was no doubt about that. He was really flashy at Georgia. Former Juco, he's hungry. He's got great personality. He's the type of guy that warrants this type of a pick, and it's it's really kind of hard to poke holes in him as a prospect. Maybe he's a little bit older than you'd prefer, but – Jermaine Johnson, certainly a top half of the first round type of high impact potential edge rusher that a team's going to love getting. Joseph, I'd like to ask you about a name here who we certainly have ranked higher than where predictively he's being forecasted right now. Tyler Linderbaum, center Mm. from Iowa. This is a player who... Once upon a time was getting mocked in the top 10. No Jets fans liked him for a hot minute there. Then he was a top 15 guy. Then he was a top 20 guy. Then he's a top 25 guy. And we've magically kind of worked our way down where sometimes he's not in the first round of mock drafts altogether. And like, he's not any worse of a player. He's still an outstanding center prospect, but he's a scheme specific center prospect. So when you look at the first round order, what's the highest you realistically can see Tyler Linderbaum getting drafted? And tell me why it's anybody but Philadelphia with one of their picks. (laughs) Well, well, Tyler Linderbaum is a tricky player to forecast, and you won't watch his tape at Iowa and can't come away with any concerns. He's a technician with good power, good range. He's a good, good football player. The challenge is the size. 6-2 and an eighth, that's the sixth percentile for centers. 296 pounds, that's the fifth percentile for centers. 31 in an eighth inch arms, that's the first percentile. His wingspan is 75 and 5 eighths. That's the first percentile, and he has 10-inch hands, which is the 50th percentile. He is small. There is just not a list of guys that you can give me with his measurables that have had great NFL careers. And so he is very much a scheme specific player that you are counting on to be an exception. And so that always makes me nervous from an evaluation perspective and when you're starting to forecast these players. But I do agree with you that Philadelphia at 15 is the ceiling for him getting drafted, a very natural player to step in for Jason Kelsey, who, you know, this is his last hurrah there. They can keep Landon Dickerson at guard and plug in Tyler Winderbaum at center. And to me, that's just the highest I can see him going. Um, I agree. And you mentioned there's not very many centers who have gone on to have successful careers that, that are that stature. Ironically enough, Jason Kelsey is one of them. So if you're, if you're looking for a source of inspiration, the Eagles organization for the best case scenario for Tyler Linderbaum is going to give you everything you need right now. It's just the magic question of, will they draft him 
Or are they going to be content to say, well, we drafted Landon Dickerson last year in the second round. He's going to be our center instead. And he's penciled in a guard spot right now. So if he doesn't go to Philly, I think what's really interesting is there's a number of interior offensive line hungry teams in the 20s but I don't know necessarily how many of them are scheme fits for what we perceive Tyler Linderbaum with his stature to be. I can get behind Green Bay. Um, They pick a couple of times. They've got 22 and they have 28. Zone, rushing scheme, you know, Matt LaFleur offense. They would like to have his range. They have Josh Myers there, but Josh Myers can obviously play guard as well. So he's a team or that's a team that comes to mind for me. But what's, what's interesting about Linderbaum and, you know, we, I think we would both not be surprised if he was Philly's pick at 15 or 18. And I think we would both not be surprised if he fell out of the first round. And so when your range of possibilities is 15 and potentially day two, it's kind of palms of the air. You just have no idea where this guy's going to go. Chris, where, where are the jets two picks in the top 40? In the early second round. 35 and 38. Can we call 38 the floor and call it a day? If he's there in the That's, second round see, for the Jets, with, with their yeah. starting centers in a contract year, they have that same, same wide zone system. I think that's an open and shut case for the Jets. And if that happened, like you, Chris, I would hope you'd be doing backflips. I would. <laughs> the backflips would occur when we're all together next week. Okay, well, we, we can document that for science because if, if that is indeed where Tyler goes. Uh, so 15 to 38, we want to set the, the ceiling and the floor for Tyler Linderbaum's draft stock. Yeah, I think that's a big strike zone, but I think it's appropriate for him. Yeah, that's a scheme-specific guy. That's what happens. Well, who else you got, Joe? All right, let's go to the uh, the holster here, and let's go with Drake London. Wide receiver, USC. Challenging player to evaluate. We, we're not really going to get any testing numbers out of him. He had his own special pro day where he wasn't able to run. He just did the field workout. Obviously, he had a really outstanding season at USC before he got injured. And, you know, they threw the ball to him like 25 times a game, had a ton of production, and, and fared well for himself. And so he's in this first-round conversation. The question now is, what's the ceiling and what's the floor? Ten? Eight? Ten would be Jets. I think- eight, eight would be Atlanta. C- correct. I would agree that starting with pick eight is the ceiling there, where this Falcons team... My goodness, do they need help at wide receiver? I mean, I'm excited for Marcus Mariota to get another chance to play, but his top receivers are like Demir Bird, Alamade, Zacchaeus, and Auden Tate. And then, Don't you know, slander they've Auden got, Tate. Don't do they it. They got Frank Darby as well. You know, that's a Chris Shuby guy. Forks up, <laughs> right? Yeah, there it is. But oh, come on, like that that's that can't be your receiving core, right? Like He's absolutely they're, a player. They're going to help. So I think his 
ceiling is is eight to Atlanta. And I think his floor, and I think this is something we'd agree on, is Green Bay. Green Bay, you want to call it 22? At 28? Well, either one of those let, picks. I mean, let me ask you this question as it pertains to Drake London. What do you perceive about him not running? Do you think that helps or hurts him in the eyes of, of teams? Well, what he avoided was putting a bad time out there. And I don't think anybody expected him to run super fast. Like, if he ran a 4.55, I think that'd be a great time for him. But I think it's more risk, realistically 4.55 to 4.65 in that range. And so my concern is that his speed isn't at the point at this time where he's going to be in that range. And maybe he'd run worse and he didn't want to put that out there. And so he just left it to everyone's imagination as to what he runs and you're not drafting Drake London because you feel like you're getting this explosive wide receiver I think he's got good athleticism you're 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 drafting him because of what he's shown as a volume target his ability to win in contested situation the the ball skills the inside outside versatility the route running at 6-3 like that's why you're drafting him you're not getting him because you think he's going to win foot races what do you think he runs what do you do? What do you think he does run? Like, like his like real forty time if he was healthy. Yeah, like I, I wouldn't have been surprised if he ran a four six. Same. So it really shouldn't move the needle, but the fact that it's it's unestablished, I could see hurting him a little bit. Do I think he falls out of the first round? No. So that's, but I could see a world in which he is in for a little bit of a slide and. There's a lot of contention for some of those wide receiver spots. And if teams start getting crazy and draft in the Christian Watsons of the world because they're big like like Drake London is, but he ran a 4-3-6 regardless of how he performs on the field. I think Green Bay at 28 is the floor that I, I like for him personally. I agree. I, I mean, part of me wants to split hairs with you and say it's 22 to Green Bay because if they want him, I, I would be nervous about leaving him on the board for the picks ahead, but I can live with Green Bay at 28. Okay, very good. Um, Christopher, do you have another name for the people you'd like to parse out about, here? I want to talk about Sauce Gardner. You're not going to like yes. it, but the, the floor is either three or four. The floor? You mean the no, ceiling. Excuse, you mean the me, ceiling. The ceiling. Okay. Yeah, not a math guy. Uh, up is down and down is up. The, the ceiling is either three or four in my mind. So I think the interesting the – interest, I agree with you, but the interesting part of that conversation is, so we're saying not Jacksonville, which I, which I would agree, and not Detroit yes. at two, which I would agree based on – I mean, come on now. This is the year for Jeff Akuda. And then, you know, Amani Oruarie from Penn State. He's he's come on for Very them. He's a nice Very player. Imagine, Mike imagine, Hughes, Amani, be, imagine being surprised Amani Oruarie is a good football player. Could not be us. Couldn't be us, but he was a fifth-round pick. And so maybe it's he's so overachieved, dumb. but we so had him graded a lot higher than that. Yeah, we did. Good player. So, yeah, I think three Houston ceiling. Yes. And and then there's spots, man. He could go four to the Jets. 
He could go, he could go to the five to the Giants. He could go eight to Atlanta. He can go nine to Seattle. He can go nine 10 to, to the Jets again. The absolute floor, 11, no, 12. Minnesota at 12. Yes, three, three to 12. And that that almost feels aggressive because there's there's landmines there. There's a lot of landmines there. That, not aggressive. That seems conservative, to be honest with you. But I think it's a, a fairly safe range of possibilities. Do we well, do we all agree that he's going to be the first cornerback drafted? Is there a chance that like we have an upside here? I, I'd be surprised. I think he's the first corner selected. Yeah. So I think predictably he's probably going to be top eight. But if Stingley does go before him, maybe that's the scenario he gets to twelve. I have one more name for you All right. both. Running back Brees Hall. Yee. Running back's hard enough in purpose. itself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, Brees is getting a lot of buzz, and rightfully so with the production that he has and how well he tested athletically. But I do think, and we, we've kind of always had the same opinion with him as far as how we've, we view him as a prospect. Um there's some process versus results questions with Brees and, and the system that he played in Iowa State and how often they ran you know, the wide zone and, and how many times he had free grass to work to. But he did showcase, I think, a little bit more creativity this than this year we thought. Joe, I would ask you this. Is the ceiling in the first round? Absolutely. Yeah, I think and, – and I'll put it at 23 to Arizona. Yes, I I, I don't know that I'm not fully sold that they'll pick him at 23 because they have needs at premium positions like big needs at premium positions. But when you think about the loss of Chase Edmonds and the style of back that Brees is and forecasting him to that offense, he makes a lot of sense for them at 23, at least from the conversation we're having 25 to Buffalo. I, I think he's certainly in play where we have to be realistic about that being an option now. I don't know if there'd be another first round destination for Brees Hall, but those two definitely come to mind. So yeah, Joe, and I'm glad you brought Arizona up as a team that that's at least in the running back market. I know they did bring back James Conner, but you know it's a different style of runner, um, and this is a team that's very much been eggs in that offensive basket uh, as aggressively as they have been. Wouldn't be stunned, uh, would be surprised. But where's the floor? Like what, what team exists presumably in the second round that it's like, man, if he's there for this team with their system, I can't imagine he gets past them. I think in the second round, I look at Houston at pick 37, who does not have much at running back. And for a team with a young quarterback, you could see them maybe wanting to emphasize their ability to run the football and give them a chance to be competitive. The Atlanta Falcons at 43 comes to mind. We know yeah. that Arthur Smith wants to run the football. Um, yeah, I don't know if what backs they're going to prefer, but you, you feel like he's worthy of that conversation. And then you go right back to Buffalo at 57. So I think, I think it's 23 to 57 when it comes to the ceiling and floor for Brees. And I know that's a big strike zone, but this is running backs, man, and it's – they're always tough to slot, and I and I feel like that gives us a reasonable strike zone for him to to get drafted. 
it true fact or fiction Brees Hall is the first running back off the board next week oh man fiction I might take the field really you think predictably a team's like I, I'll be the guy that says it I think Brees Hall is the first running back drafted wow Joseph Joe Marino yeah. for Jay once, Marino not taking, not the, taking field. the field wow not gonna take this it is a Watch monumental this moment yeah it's going to crumble me, but I'll I'll take the bet. I'll take it. Brees Hall is the first running back drafted. You know what's going to happen here, Kyle, is Brees Hall will not be the first running back taken, and he will never make another one of these bets yeah. ever again. It'll just Correct. be the yep. field He's going to be emotionally scarred for forever. Yeah, because this is if you're, if you're new to draft dudes, you present Joe with any opportunity to take X or the field, and 95% of the time, and only I can say that only now because he's actually done it 95% of the time Joe takes the field. So this is a huge deal that uh, Joe is not going to take the field. It's a huge deal. The NFL draft next week. So we hope you plan accordingly. We hope you come back and see us again soon. Kyle Krabs with Joe Marino and Chris Schubert, the draft networks draft dudes. Thanks as always for listening. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.